0: Hello friends, welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick and I am your host. I am stoked to be recording in the very new, actually it's not even new, it, is, it hasn't even been, been built yet, but I'm currently sitting in what is gonna be the Bikes or Death studio. If you've been following along on social media or whatnot, you'll know that over the last couple of weeks I've been moving just across town, nothing crazy. But one of the reasons that I went with this house is because it has this really sick shop that the previous owner built himself. It's original to the 1970s. It's super cool. The floor is brick. The wall is brick. So I got big plans to make this studio pretty cool. Uh, Right now, it's just a makeshift podcast, but I was too excited to Um, just record inside the house. So I came out here, set up the table, a chair, a couple little things and bada boom, bada bing, we're podcasting. On that note, I am running my little air conditioner. I'm curious if this mic is going to pick it up or not. So if it does, I apologize and I'll get it fixed in the future. Okay, here we go. Well, I first want to thank all the patrons uh, that have signed up. Y'all showed up big time. Since the last time I released an episode, uh, we've had quite a few new subscribers to Patreon. So I want to give a shout out to Robert T., Gabriel P., Hannah J., Chad G., Mel, Kevin W., Ryan M., and Scott. Thank you all so, so much for uh, signing up. That really makes me feel good, to be honest. And it gets us closer to the goal of $500 per month. If you haven't visited my Patreon page, you may not be aware of this, but when I hit $500 a month, I am going to start creating a Patreon-only podcast called Shifting Gears. Go over to patreon.com forward slash death and hop on the Patron train. All right, well, this week's episode is brought to you by Rockgeist. My friends over at Rockgeist are giving away another custom frame bag this month, October. Tickets are only $5, and the proceeds this month go directly to the WTF Bike Explorers. To enter, all you have to do is head over to rockgeist.com. That's R-O-C-G-E-I-S-T. It's German, so the E comes first. Or you can just check out the show notes, and I'll have a link down there. They are going to be doing this every single month. So if you don't win in October, no problem. You circle back around next month, throw your $5 in the pot, You hope for the new frame bag, but you already know you're a winner because you're donating to a great cause. Now, while you're there, make sure you send them a message and let them know other suggestions of organizations or groups, whether they're big or small, that are working to lower the barriers for people to start bikepacking, especially for those underrepresented groups and marginalized people. This week's show is also brought to you by Gooder. Gooder is a sunglass brand if you didn't know and I freaking love them. And last week I told you a story so I think I'll do that again. Like I said I'm moving, so shit's everywhere and I misplaced my favorite pair of Gooder sunglasses. If you want to know, they're the ones called Buzzed on the Tower. I'm sure I didn't lose them, lose them. I'm thinking that they're somewhere and I haven't been able to find them. But My initial reaction was to get upset because I just lost a pair of sunglasses. And then I remembered, oh, wait, I didn't pay a metric shit ton of money for these. They were only 35 bucks. So worst case scenario, I lost them. No big deal. I go get another pair. But the other great thing about them being affordable is that I don't own just one pair. I actually have six of them. So uh, I got plenty of options to choose from. If you want to see what sunglasses I'm rocking, Gooder set up a landing page. So just go to gooder.com. That's G O O D R. You don't need an E.com forward slash bikes or death. You can check out all the models that I'm rocking. And uh, I'm probably going to be adding to that, honestly, because I don't think six is enough. I feel like 10 or 12 is probably a better number. So anyway, go over, check out what I'm wearing and uh, check out all the other ones. Even if you only go there to, to read the names, they have a bunch of like crazy names, which is like half the fun. So go check them out. If you hate them, then they weren't that expensive and it's no big deal. But they're actually really good sunglasses. I freaking love them. They're polarized. They're lightweight. They're all the blah, blah, blah things. So blah, blah, blah sunglasses. All right. Well, this week's show is with a very special guest, Taleb. You may know of him because he was the person who led and organized a Black History ride in Austin, Texas. I wasn't able to make the initial ride due to a conflict, but we circled back around about a month or so after that, and he and I did the route together. There were some people that joined us that rode along with us, and uh, we went and previewed some of the route. And it was really neat because this is the first time that I've ever taken the podcast and went really mobile with it. So we met at a spot. We recorded for 15 minutes, whatnot. Then we rode to the next spot. We recorded there. You get the idea. We kept riding and then talking. And uh, so it's a little bit different. And uh, I'm excited for this episode, uh, both because of the content. And what he's doing and to throw some light and some exposure on on that route and hopefully other people will go out there and enjoy it but also just because i'm trying something new with the podcast and uh, definitely think that i want to try to incorporate more of this kind of style into it and kind of mix it up a little bit let's have some fun you know oh you know what earlier i forgot to tell you all about how you can support the bikes or death podcast silly me Well, let me tell you, I made it easy on you. All you got to do is head over to BikesForDeath.com. There's lots of ways. Like I said, you can join on Patreon. You can send a one-time donation through PayPal. And by the way, you don't need a PayPal account to do that. You can use a credit card, debit card, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or you can check out the store, which has historically only been like shirts and T-shirts, stickers, or shirts and stickers and patches and all that kind of stuff. But I recently just partnered with a company who reached out to me and I'm now able to offer some very, very select products. Like when I say select, I mean, there's only two on there right now. Uh, so if you head over there, you can check those out. They're the, uh, the K-Lite pack, the road or the mountain bike version, or whether you got an SP hub or a Sawn hub, oh, there goes an airplane. Oh yeah, bring it, bring on that audio. And I'm also uh, stocking Walmart bars which have been all the buzz. I mean, all the wide bars have been like, everybody wants to know about them. Uh, so I'm like anybody else. I got curious and handlebars aren't that expensive. They're actually one of my favorite tweaks to make to a bike. I think handlebars and tires, they're the cheapest and easiest things you can do to like completely change your bike. Maybe not completely, but really give your bike like a totally different look and feel. So it's not uncommon that I'll swap, swap out my bars. And I went with the 55s. I put them on my Salsa Fargo, and I freaking love them. And uh, actually, I'm looking at getting some carbon ones now for the Chumba. But anyway, if you want to check those out, head over to BikesAreDeath.com. I'm carrying all kinds of good stuff. Oh, and we got the new Sweat Tech 2.0 shirts. If you don't know what they are, they're freaking awesome. And I'm not just saying that because I'm selling it. I'm also telling you because they're awesome. On the front, it's just the Bikes or Death logo, but on the back, there's nothing until you sweat, and then when your sweat reveals a secret message. Right now, it just says, ride your damn bike, but in the future, we're going to have some fun with that, and you might get some surprise messages or something. So anyway, it's a a good, fun shirt. So there's lots of new things going on. Like I've said, I am ramping up on Bikes or death. Uh, lots of new things are going to be coming. And this is just a little sneak peek. So uh, appreciate all of you. Appreciate the support. If it wasn't for y'all, well, I wouldn't be here or I would be here and I would be talking to a lot less people. All right. Well, I really, really did enjoy this interview with Talib. Super cool dude. Really respect him for being a leader and uh, appreciate him taking the time. I hope you dig this episode too. So without further ado, let's have Miles Arbor take it away. With the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you
1: ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss. Including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh,
0: death. Podcast. I mean, first off, man, we're sitting here in Austin, Texas, outside of the Quickie Picky. Did you pick this for any other reason other than it had a cool name or what? <laughs> well, so
2: this actually is in like a historic part of Austin, of East Austin. So, you know, we're, we're in East Austin. This is... Pretty much the center of what is known as like uh, the Sixth Square Cultural District, and uh, essentially this was an area of Austin that in 1928 there was a master plan to basically push all like African-Americans over. So we, we kind of actually meet up here because it's convenient. There are bathrooms. It's a little bodega here. So it's, it's
0: really just convenient. Yeah, it's a cool spot. Good place to grab a pint too sometimes. Right on. You can eat it before and after and during the ride sometimes. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on your flavor. Well, uh, before we get too into the weeds, you came on my radar because you organized a Black History ride through Austin. A lot of people showed up. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of publicity and a lot of people are going to know you from that. but. Real quick, like, what is your name, and what do you do outside of organizing these types of group rides and stuff?
2: Yeah, so uh, my name is Talib Abdullahi. Um, I've lived in Austin for about 12 years. I moved here, yeah, to go to UT, basically. Yeah, I I essentially am a, a professional event planner. I work for Tito's Vodka. You're a professional what? Event planner. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so I do, I do plan events and stuff. And uh, I don't know, I'm generally a creative person. Both my parents are artists. Yeah. So, uh, I, I've known at work and in other circles as just someone that comes up with interesting ideas. And sure. Stuff like that. So, the uh, Black History Social Ride idea was really just something that I thought was going to be a small handful of friends, kind of like this. Yeah. You know, like maybe maybe a dozen, maybe 20. I have friends that are designers, someone designed a poster, that just would not stop getting
0: shared. All the local bike shops picked it up, so. Yeah, well, for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, let's like back up and say like, first of all, what inspired you to create the route? And then we can get into what the route is. And then we're actually gonna go ride some of it. So we got some of our friends together today and we're gonna go check out some of the spots.
2: Yeah, yeah, right on. you know, after uh, seeing some of the protests here in Austin, we've had, like, a lot of very, you know, just very active protests, you know, right in front of Austin Police Department. And, you know, kind of experiencing what that was like a couple times, I realized, like, there was a lot of anger and energy that, are, that was on the streets. Yeah. And I really recognize that, one, there's a lot to be angry about. But, two, if people are, you know, that upset, like, why don't we try to channel some of that energy into a, a fashion where, you know... People are kind of learning a little bit, right. and and taking a little bit more uh, out of the time, you know, instead of like yelling at the police all day. Right, right. Why don't they start channeling that energy kind of in a way that is going to enlighten them a little bit? Right. And then, you know, I've I'm an American Studies major, uh, which is what I graduated with at UT, and that's kind of like a minorities' history of America, and we talk about a lot of these, you know, former freedmen's communities and kind of locations in Austin that a lot of people don't really
0: know about. Uh, a lot of people haven't really experienced or, uh, you know, yeah, they're just not aware of, I mean you go through your day to day life and you didn't know that that was a historic significant site or whatnot. I mean, yeah, a lot of people go through their life like that. So, right. And, and as a very bikeable
2: city with a very, very thriving bike community of many pro racers, bike packers, just commuters, just all different stripes. I was like, why don't we just start doing bike rides? Right. You know, and stopping at these places that people are riding their their bikes right past
0: without any idea that they have this
2: historical right. significance because it seems like people are ready to learn that or, or wanting to, to learn more about that those types yeah. of topics.
0: Yeah, take advantage of everybody's energy and give them something positive to do, like something to learn about, instead of just yelling. Which, yeah, yelling, you need to do. My voice needs to be heard. But now, what do we do, right? Like, what? How can we educate ourselves? One thing I like about what you're doing, it. it I just read a book. Um, Oh, my gosh. It was about Native Americans. I completely forgot the name of the book off the top of my head. But I learned a lot about the history of the Native Americans and what they went through. And a lot of it happened really very close to where we – I mean, a lot of it happened here in my hometown of Brazos County. And I immediately went and started – I'm still working on it – but creating a a big, like, 300-mile bikepacking loop that will showcase some of the historically uh, significant features like uh, Fort – parker with cynthia parker uh where she was like kidnapped and taken away like wow that was that's still there like you can go visit that and you can actually rent that facility and we could like have a group camp there and you know and like no joke that's yeah. rad yeah, yeah so cool. a similar a similar type of thing but i i mean i'm all about that is like it's it's good that people are like energized it's good that there's people that are aware of the need for social change but we really need things to do and ways to educate ourselves, like what do we do with that? Exactly. like you need an, an activity that sort of kind of ties it all together, yeah,
2: you know that's a really cool project to work on, by the way. oh that's thank you super cool.
0: yeah, I mean it's it's the same thing as what you're doing. I mean, it's just I mean, I even want to do more bikepacking events whenever you go into an area, you learn about the culture, the history, the people that came there before, the food, whatever it is, you know, like you shouldn't just like go through a place. you should like appreciate it to some extent, you know, yeah, yeah, you should you should I don't know really take something away, I think. I, yeah. you know, I think that, that,
2: that makes our bike rides even more meaningful when you like gain some knowledge and you feel like it's relevant to your life or relevant to
0: what's going on now. What do you think you want people to take away from this ride that we're gonna go on tonight?
2: You know, uh, I think I want people to just sort of take away that there are there, there's a lot around us that has happened before us and if we take a little time out of our day to sort of read about it, listen to the history, we can avoid repeating some of the same mistakes that have already happened. Yeah. Because as as we get into this history, you start to realize, like, oh, well, I love this, these things that we're talking about today with social justice, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, it's uh, it's the same. We're on a different chapter of the same story. Right. And we haven't gotten to the next really significant piece of change, you know, it's it's just kind of mirroring itself. So that's why it's important that I think we take some time to talk about the history.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we realize that there are some really cool figures that we haven't heard about that live in the city. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there, we don't get any value by whitewashing anything and pretending like certain things that no one gets value out of that. I mean, one thing that I'm passionate about is conversation, which I appreciate you having one with me and yeah. uh, and educating people. Like not just – one reason I started a podcast, you don't know me, is like I, I got off of Facebook because of all the just – I mean, it's just like memes and people throwing shit at each other and it's just yeah. nasty and you never get anywhere. And what I really want to do is like – start to talk to people and figure out what's really going on and educate people and be a platform so that you can share and other people can share. We can all learn and benefit from that. But if we can't sit down and have conversations, then we're all fucked as far as I'm concerned. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. It starts with a conversation. So you planned this event. You didn't anticipate many people would come, but let's tie a bow on that. What was what was the result of that campaign and everything? Sure. Yeah. You know, and it was a uh, from, from the Putting the idea out
2: on solely on my Instagram story, to having the event happened within the span basically of exactly seven days, or you might even say it was just like six days.
0: So it went. It was like six or seven days,
2: and you went from like thinking only I, a few people I, idea to 400 people. Yeah. Wow. I, so yeah, the, at, in the evening I was like, oh cool, and you know, by the end of that first day, people are like, oh yeah, I I, I screenshot it, I shared it on my Facebook yeah. with like you know, my work colleagues, and then they shared it, and I was like, whoa, All right? Oh oh okay. Did I you did get it. nervous? You know, a little bit, but then again, you know, um, I kind of like sort of accepted that perhaps I'm kind of the conduit. Like, you know, I'm not a historian, but I can tell some of these stories. Right. And if people want to hear it, like, I don't really need to be nervous, you know, cause it's just like, you know, some of my like best friends of all time are, are here. Yeah. People are here cause they want to support and. Yeah. Learn. Yeah. And, and I realized it, it wasn't really uh, there wasn't a huge difference between me imagining like just repeating this history to like a handful of my friends or if it happens to be three or 400 people yeah. because it's important and everyone wants to be there. And so, you know, I was definitely nervous at the beginning, but then like I yeah. just kind of like shook it off and I was like, whatever, man. Like after the first bike ride, I was like, yeah. or after we rode somewhere, I was like, all right. Was the vibe
0: good? Was every, it was I mean, great. it all went like super smooth. No, no crazy people coming out of the woodworks trying to cause drama or crazy people are around man everybody's (laughs) i think sandy's a little overrated
2: Ah, we we didn't know no no yeah no bad actors everyone was cool i started off by saying very bluntly i was like my boss is here and my boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss who brought his family so i was like please everybody yeah this was also right in june and there was a lot of protesting and kind of wild stuff happening downtown but everyone was super civil and awesome Cool, cool. Well, what's going to be our first stop? Where are we headed to right now? We're going to start at Texas African-American Memorial uh, right in front of the Capitol. That kind of has a nice, paints a nice picture of basically the entire story uh, from the first African-American, first black person to basically enter Texas in the 1500s, um, up through some really recent, you know, history. So it paints a really awesome picture, and that's like where we start the ride usually.
0: Let's go do it. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Thanks. you. All right, so, made it to the first stop, only one climb between us. And Yeah, I'm feeling feeling pretty sweaty. It is August (laughs) in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very sweaty. Uh, So, where are we right now?
2: Uh, We're right in front of the Texas State Capitol, right here at, you know, the seat of decision-making and government for the entire state of Texas. Standing right in front of the Texas African American History Memorial. This memorial actually went up fairly recently uh in 2016. there was a lot of opposition actually to it going in interestingly enough there is actually a, a large confederate monument that kind of mirrors where this one is sitting on the other side of the capitol grounds yeah. so there was a lot of opposition for many years about putting this in so it was george bush jr that actually signed it and it took them i don't know a handful of years eight years to get it put here but it's really interesting uh it, it really it highlights emancipation for african-americans in texas which actually happened in galveston as you guys know how many of you guys know about juneteenth right so basically when you know abraham lincoln signed the emancipation proclamation basically said yo black people are free in texas <laughs> you know basically the local thought was like no we don't want to have to do that you're gonna to have to come down here and free them yourselves so the emancipation proclamation was actually read at you know the island of galveston which is at like an hour away from houston and uh, yeah, we have this beautiful statue to kind of commemorate it.
0: Nice. Do you know what the opposition was to the statue going in?
2: So I don't. I was here at the unveiling of the statue and there were several neo-Nazis
0: oh, with really? their guns.
2: Yeah, that were here. It was not many, it was maybe like 20. Yeah. There was a crowd of several thousands to commemorate the statue and then a counter protest of people saying that you should not put a statue like this up.
0: Yeah, well, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful memorial and I'm glad it's here.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and what, what uh, Ed Dwight is the sculpture, what he did was basically tried to tell the history of uh, black folks in Texas from the very beginning to the very more recent. So okay, on yeah. the very left, you might see that, the larger figure all the way on the left. That man's name is Mustafa Azamori. He was known as Esteban or Estevanico, Little Stephen. He was a slave that was captured, I believe, by the Spanish. And he was brought basically, you know this? Yeah, Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: Mood, the, the All right. All you right. get brownie points. Yeah. Right? You get a gold star, Cynthia. Yeah. <laughs> when I did this first time, there are many people who are like, I have no idea what any of this is. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I'm in that group, so. Yeah. Props. So, so basically, um, Estevanico came here with Cabeza de Vaca. They landed on the shore of Texas in like 1529 and basically wandered around. Estevanico was known for his ability to learn native languages. Mm. And so he was able to communicate with several different Native American tribes as they traveled throughout. So they were able to wander all the way up to the Pacific. His story is actually great. What, what's the name of that book? No,
1: Dracula's Shipwreck.
2: Yeah, that. So I would just highly recommend like he's a really cool. Wait, uh, let's say it. Uh, what is no. it? Naufragios? Naufragios,
1: means shipwrecked.
2: Yeah. There we go, shipwrecked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. And so basically the... Uh, yeah. So w- you, when you led the ride, you had like a speech kind of that you gave. So you, you want to do that? Oh, I can do that. Yeah.
2: Um, Mustafa Azamori, better known by his slave name Estevanico, was a North African explorer from Azamor, Morocco, servant in Spain who became the first African explorer of North America and Texas. He has been referred to as the greatest African man in America. In 1527, he was taken on the Spanish Navarez expedition to establish a colony in La Florida, which at the time was composed of present-day Florida and all unexplored lands to the north and west, including northern Mexico. Estevanico was assuredly the first African to traverse Texas, and in the company of three Spaniards, re-entered Texas from Mexico at La Junta de los Rios. It is unknown how he actually passed away, but it's said that he was carrying basically a either a peace pipe or some sort of stick and in somewhere in New Mexico encountered a tribe that noticed that that belonged to a different tribe and thought that he was like an intruder or a spy basically and was murdered by the tribe. However, the story that I believe, you is out there, is that he basically was trusted so much by the Spanish captors that he took his own brigade and just escaped and lived with the native Americans.
0: Oh, so never to be heard from again,
2: never to be heard from again, basically. So it's not really known. He probably was killed by the native Americans, but (laughs) pretty metal. Um, so on the very right of the monument, you'll see Bernard Anthony Harris jr. Bernard is a former NASA astronaut on February 9th, 1995, Harris became the first African-American to perform a spacewalk during the second of his two space shuttle flights. He's the sixth African-American to travel to space and first to perform a spacewalk. So he's from Temple, Texas, which is, you know, again, 45 minutes to an hour from here. So the beautiful thing about this monument is that you have the first African-American man basically in Texas and in the entire United States. then you also have an African-American man from Texas who goes into space and does the first spacewalk.
0: Yeah, man on the moon, that's a big deal. Yeah, it really is. Beautiful. Do you have anything else to share about this monument? That's about it for this one, yeah. Awesome. They're holding it up back there. (laughs) All right, cool, cool. So here at stop number two, nice little hill you had us go through to get here? had a nice
2: little hill. It wasn't, wasn't that bad, right? No, it was nice and right. short and steep, just the uh, way I like them. <laughs> just, the way, just the way I like <laughs> But yeah, so uh, we're, we're here in historic Clarksville, and this is a, a location a lot of people mostly assume as being a part of, uh, you know, West Austin, or they call it Old West Austin. This was originally one of the first freedmen's communities in Austin. And this house, the Haskell House, is actually a very well-preserved example of what African-American people lived in This house I believe was built in the 1880s. It's like a Cambridge style version of architecture that was pretty common. It's probably around four or 500 square feet and typically would house like a, a full family.
0: Is this a duplex? There's two doors.
2: Yeah, so great question. Typically, uh, what a lot of families did at the time, as a way to make money, they would create a second door and they would rent out the other half of the house to travelers. So they would put up kind of a partition or a sheet or you know something to kind of block it off, and so the family that lived there full time would be on one side, and then they would rent out the other other side for you know a day, a week, or whoever to like people traveling through.
0: They were the original Airbnbs here in
2: Austin. That was like the original Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, this is known as Clarksville, Texas. It's now known just as part of Austin, you know, Clarksville is just northeast of the intersection of the Missouri Pacific Railroad and West 10th Street in West Austin. The land containing streams and steep hills has previously been a part of a plantation owned by Governor Elisha M. Peace. We'll go by his house too after this. Okay, cool. So we'll see this house and we'll go see the governor's house. (laughs) Um, It is said that Peace gave the land to his emancipated slaves with the vain hope that they would remain near his mansion and be able for further service. His mansion is right over there. Clarksville was founded in 1871 by Charles Clark, a freedman who changed his name from Charles Griffin after emancipation. Clark bought two acres of land from Confederate General Nathan G. Shelley and bought a house on what is now West 10th Street. He subdivided his land among other freedmen to start a community outside of Austin. At the time he did this, this was like not considered central Austin. This was like the boonies. Like Austin was down by the Capitol and no one really crossed Shoal Creek, which is basically where Lamar ends and we go up that giant hill. So at the time it was probably just, trees and, and desolate, you know, just rocks and stuff. Um, you had mentioned that you actually didn't know the term freedmen. I was going to
0: ask you. Yeah, thank you.
2: Yeah. So, it, you know, you can kind of sort of draw the conclusion, but freedmen's communities basically were the first communities that, you know, freed slaves formed together. Clarksville was a, a pretty uh, successful and thriving one. So, yeah, basically anytime you hear freedmen's community, that means that's where the community of former slaves banded together built their own houses, and started their own communities. Those typically centered around churches. Right after Clarksville was founded, they didn't actually have enough money to build a church or build a community center. So they would hold them in several different homes. And this was actually one of the homes that served as a place for them to
0: gather and to pray. It's crazy that this home is still here. Is this the original home, do you know? It is. Yeah, it is the original home. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I mean, for people who are just listening, we're literally like I mean, I don't know we're in the heart of Austin, but I mean, there's modern houses all around us, and there's this, like, preserved one lot with this—I mean, I think it's a cute house, but if you had a full family living in there, it would probably be kind of cramped. But Yeah, I mean, now it would be kind
2: of considered, like, a vogue loft because it's pretty small. Someone
0: still pay a half mil for it, though, easy.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. And, I mean, these houses next to it, which are not the original houses, are— some of the most expensive real estate in Austin now. All around us, you know, even these, these houses that look like they were built in like the 40s, which are not, you know, original Clarksville, but, you know, have been here now for a long time, are now probably worth an exorbitant amount of money. So I think it's called the Clarksville Conservation Corporation, which is basically like the Community Preservation Board. Yeah. Basically worked with the city on saving this building, preventing it from being uh, turned into like a newer a newer home or you know having it raised by developers and they raised money to basically redo it because apparently it was not in this good of condition and so the city came in and designated it like a, a public park there's a really nice plaque which kind of gives you a lot more detail about yeah you know, it looks like there's even
0: a community garden or some kind of mm-hmm. garden around back yeah there is a community garden out back Cool, very nice spot. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so nice that they like preserve this like right in the middle yeah. of the city. You might just drive by and be like, what's that? When I
2: brought people on the first ride, uh, a lot of people were like, I've ridden by this, I've never noticed it. Yeah, I, didn't even you know, I, I ride on the street over as a, a bike thoroughfare. Gotcha. Never even, never seen this, so. Right on. Yeah, and you know, the, the woman that runs the preservation board was actually like, you know, when we brought all the cyclists here, she was like, I've never seen this many people want to come learn about this place at the same time. This is awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. So, is there a person that will sometimes be here, like doing guided tours and yeah. stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. her name's Mary. She's super chill. I just emailed her and most luckily, tour guys are. Yeah, luckily she showed
2: up and, and yeah. Oh, so. yeah.
0: I'm sure they were like super stoked that you were bringing some awareness to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The historians I found that are, uh, you know, when I tell them I'm doing this, they're like, how many people? And I'm like, uh, this many we people? We haven't had that many people all year. <laughs> yeah. So it's cool that, you know, uh, if you, if, I guess if you say, Hey, let's learn about history and people are like, mm. Mm. but you say, Hey, let's go ride bikes. People are like, yeah. And so you kind of can, you know, you make, makes your bike ride a little different. You got but, some
0: music in between. You got yeah. uh, some beers and learn something too.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like that's my hope is that we can use our bikes to, you know, learn something as well as just have
0: fun. Yeah, man. Use it as a positive tool. I love it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. We'll Well, uh, we don't have to, like, stop and record. We'll stop at—I'll um, point out a couple. There are a couple buildings here that are basically like this, but they've added onto the back. So they preserved the front, and you can tell they've added their million-dollar expansion <laughs> in the back. And then we'll ride by the Sweet Home Baptist Church, which is, like, the church that has, like— been here the longest. That's like still the community center. It's still a predominantly black church, even though people don't, most of the people don't live in this neighborhood. This neighborhood used to be entirely, I think there were like 400 African-American families living here, and now there are only six. Six? Six. There were 400. Wow. So I probably should should mention this because this is the one, one bit about Austin Black History that everyone should talk about. It's why we come over here. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but there was a master plan of 1928. At the time, Austin was actually considered a relatively inclusive place. It was far enough west that it was kind of away from some of the cruelty of the South. And so a lot of people kind of were like, you know... Like, whatever, you know, so there's a a freed slave community up here. There was one called Wheatville that we're going to go to um, that's also kind of in West Austin. Um, There were some down south. There were several actually already on the east side, but they were pretty spread out, right? The master plan in 1928 essentially said, hey, this whole, like, mixing of, you know, black people and white people, that's not cool. Basically, any of the black people that want to get social services like running water, paved roads, sidewalks, schools for their kids, all of that good stuff that, you know, Everyone deserves to have basic rights. You have to live on the other side of I-35, or right at the time it was called uh, East Avenue, but you have to live basically on the other side of town where we started our ride. If you lived over here, and a lot of the people in this community persevere and they're like, no, we're not moving, they pulled their money together to like start, start their own schools and basically to, to keep it so, because they couldn't force them to leave, but a lot of people were like, I'm not sending my kid across school to go to high school. You know, I do want running water in my house, which is pretty reasonable. So because of that master plan in 1928, it basically consolidated all the African-American people over to the east side. And that happened citywide. And it's just a continual, like kind of continuation of the fact that it's like, all right, well, we respect you enough to consider you as people, but not really. We're not going to offer you the same, same rights and everything else
0: unless you do what we say and get, get your ass over there. Kind of unrelated, but it, I mean, you're very well-spoken, you're very knowledgeable. How much of this did you know prior to organizing this ride and how much of it you have you kind of learned as you went? I knew bits
2: and pieces before I rode. Uh, I'm an American Studies major at UT, so we talked about a lot of racial issues like around Texas and we talked a lot about specific Austin examples. So I felt like I knew bits and pieces. And like I said, enough to like tell my friends, explain yeah. <laughs> to my friends. And then once I realized that, like more than a dozen people were coming. I was like, shit. I better study. I gotta start I gotta start <laughs> studying and start talking to people. Yeah. So the the nice thing is that the more you just talk about it, the more it becomes ingrained
0: in your memory. And I'm like, okay, I actually do kind of know some of this stuff. For someone like me, it's more impactful to like have a conversation like this rather than being like a lecture hall sometimes and just hear names and dates and histories. Oh, and yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I like this, this is fun. More, more, more places. A little bit later on the ride, a little bit sweatier. A little sweatier. It's another hill popped up on us. But again, three out of three, we are in the shade for the interview. So well done. Yeah, yeah. I planned it that way.
1: <laughs> You're the best
0: <laughs> event coordinator ever. Uh,
2: thank you. So right now we're standing in, in historic Wheatville. Most people know it as uh, West Campus. I call it the Wampus. Aaron and I have a lot of crazy stories from when we went to college here. So as you can see, this is primarily student And we're not going to hear
0: any. Just skip right over that we're part. We're going to skip
2: right. Actually, I think we might... St- is the I think the statue limitation might still be. Oh, uh, okay. There was, there was a lot of four, four loco involved. I will say that <laughs> four loco. Yes. Yeah. That was the four loco hit right when we were in college. That's all you right had to here. say. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so uh, we're standing in Wheatville. Wheatville was the first Black community associated with Austin after the Civil War. Apparently, it's a little bit older than the community we we're just in uh, up at Clarksville. James Wheat, a former slave from Arkansas, brought his family to the area and founded the community in 1867. In 1869, he bought a plot of land at what is now 2409 San Gabriel Street and became Wheatville's first landowner. 2409. This is 2402. Okay. So 2409 would be just up the way up here.
0: And describe like what we're looking at here, just to like set the scene. Sure. For yeah. Listening. Yeah.
2: So we're standing in front of uh, the Jacob Fontaine or Gold Dollar Building. This is actually my favorite building on the tour. It was built in the 1880s, right? And it is basically um, the architecture you'd say now is pretty typical of like you know. Old West Texas, kind of looks like an old general store. It's got some wood that's faded, as well as a lot of limestone brick. Yeah, it could have been a bank or a saloon or- It, it seems like it could have been- Anything, all, it, yeah. At different points, it kind of was all of those A general things. store, yeah. It was actually a general store for a long time. To really set the scene though, fortunately they preserved this historic building, but there are brand new condos literally surrounding it that tower above it by like six stories yeah, at least and this is pretty typical for this part of town we're literally like five blocks west of the university of texas campus so this is all student housing lots of debauchery happens over here <laughs> um but yeah you know that most of the people that live over here are students and i would say hardly any of them really know about the history of this building
0: yeah you think they would have graffitied it if they knew
2: probably not no probably not
0: yeah um,
2: you know literally i, I will say this part of town is one of the most dangerous parts of town, primarily because it's just all students doing stupid student stuff. Really, I was one of those people. Aaron was
0: one of those people. We, we all had our times. Good thing yeah. I didn't go to college. It sounds like I missed a dangerous time. Yeah, it was. It's a very rough. It's <laughs> r- really rough out here. <laughs> a big mistake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: So yeah, a few blacksmiths lived in Wheatville, and some residents farmed and raised livestock here. George Franklin, a former slave and carpenter, purchased the land at the site of present-day 2402 San Gabriel, which is where we are standing, in 1869, and constructed a stone building with walls four stones thick. It is now known as the Gold Dollar or Jacob Fontaine Building. It became the center of community as subsequent owners used it to house families, grocery stores, and various other businesses and a church. Jacob Fontaine was probably the most prominent person to have lived here and he actually was the first minister at the the church we just saw. Oh, cool. Back down there in Clarksville. Wow. So, let's see. Back when it was
0: a small town or right. a small community.
2: Back when it was a small community and Jacob Fontaine's a really interesting leader. He actually started several different churches all around Austin. I think he started 5 or 6 churches around Austin. Sweet Home being one of the first, he was also really important for a lot of reasons. So he started printing one of the first newspapers this side of the Mississippi specifically for freed slaves. And that was called the Austin Gold Dollar. The Gold Dollar was one of the first black newspapers west of the Mississippi and one of 48 commercial black newspapers published in Texas between 1870 and 1900. It was founded in August 1876 in the Wheatville area of Austin by Jacob Fontaine. Copies are extremely scarce and records on circulation are scanty, but the gold dollar certainly existed in 1878, maybe as late as 1880. The newspaper emphasized the needs of freed slaves, family ties, education, frugality, moral and religious instruction, and the discipline of youth and racial justice. It struggled with black illiteracy and poverty and supported the political and social causes of its founder, a leader in politics in Travis County.
0: So the gold dollar, they're not even sure how long that was in print? They don't have record. They don't have very many copies. That's interesting, right? So a newspaper that we don't even have a very good record of the newspaper being on file for right. historic records. Right. Well, if you think
2: about it, a lot of the people that ended up with the newspaper at the time were black individuals yeah. in this community and around Austin. The university here probably wasn't like, yeah, send us copies of that. Yeah. Like, at the time, they are like, whatever. So there are some on file. The Austin History, History yeah. Center does have some. So I think it's believed that they started the paper in 1870 and it lasted for a little over 20 years, like into the yeah. 1890s. Yeah. But... The records for it not really there. Yeah, you know, it's, inter- it's interesting. And, uh, you know, that's kind of like a, a big part of this exercise in doing the bike ride is to start talking about these bits of history that we know a little bit of, but
0: we're like, where's the rest yeah. of the story? Like, I'm sure that story's out there, you know? Yeah, well, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if people are going to come out of the woodworks and like fill in some of the gaps. I mean, yeah. if there's a demand for the information and curiosity, maybe someone will write a book or dig further into it. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. So I found out actually just a week
2: or two ago that Jacob Fontaine's great grandson did write a book on him.
0: Okay, cool. So now I'm trying to find a copy of it so yeah. I can read it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, we could put that like in a link too. To, yeah. Well, I guess is it not in print? I guess right. So you said you're trying to find a copy of it. Like it's not.
2: Uh, I think I think I can probably find it at, at a local library somewhere. Oh, okay.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah. cool. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Very good. Yeah. A little bit about the the actual name, the gold dollar. Fontaine named his paper for a gold dollar given by his sister Nellie Miller in 1872, when they were reunited in Mississippi after a separation caused by slavery twenty years before. Fontaine earned sixty dollars which is roughly $1,200 in today's money to start the newspaper in his home, which is a structure that was set afire by arsonists in August, 1879. Arson, right? Remember? But designated uh, an Austin landmark in August, 1977. So for any of you with siblings, imagine what it's like to not see your sibling for 20 years. That's one of the things that he endured. And like I said, like we're standing on this street, where a bunch of drunk college kids normally stand. But at one point a really great dude lived right across the street and he was probably standing
0: here talking local politics or you know, you know, just helping out this community. So maybe worrying about his daughter where she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now that's amazing. It's so nice that you were able to bring some light to something that like gets overlooked quite easily if you just like rode your bike or drove down the street. I, I might not notice it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a, a pretty similar story with most of the, the landmarks right. on this tour, is like you might just ride your bike right by and not realize that like, wow, that's actually really significant to black history or just the history in general. Cool. And it uh, doesn't hurt to stop and read the plaque or, or check it out.
0: Yeah, good on you. What yeah. else we got?
2: We can head up to UT. I know I feel like we're running a little short on time.
0: Well, I mean, we're, let's do uh, let's do one more. You got one more for us? Yeah, we can, we can head up over to UT. Cool. All right, so, uh, well, at least the sun has gone down. We're getting the last little... Bits of sunlight there. Yeah. Which is nice, so it's not quite as hot. <laughs> uh, the sunset's actually pretty nice tonight, too. Oh, it's been great. It's, like, not Traffic's bad at all. Traffic's been good?
2: Yeah, yeah. Sunday night, you know, people are not really riding out too much.
0: So we're at
2: a house. Yeah, so uh, this is a house, uh, it's a house. It's a house. It's a, it a house. It looks like a house. <laughs> so uh, this is actually Richard Overton's house. You might have noticed the street is actually named after Richard Overton. He's somewhat of a, I mean, I guess you could say a national celebrity, but a local celebrity. He's just a very old jolly, super nice dude that was usually just sitting right there on the porch on one of those yellow chairs. But yeah, he's a, he was a proud World War II veteran. His full name is Richard Arvin Overton. He was an American super centenarian who at the age of 112 years, 230 days was the oldest verified surviving U.S. World War II veteran and oldest man in the United States. He served in the United States Army, and in 2013, he was honored by President Barack Obama. He lived in Austin, Texas from 1945 until his death in 2018.
0: Wow. In this house?
2: In this house. So he built this house right after the
0: war. Oh, my gosh.
2: So he he lived here. Uh, This was the heart of really the, the Tillotson College area, or Houston Tillotson College, which is another stop on the tour right around the corner. Do you
0: know, is it still in his family? It is, yeah. Yeah. So it
2: is still in his family. His family actually uh, is a relatively prominent family in town. His cousin, Volma Overton, who I've met his grandson, uh, was actually the president of the NAACP or a pretty high-ranking figure, the local NAACP that worked to desegregate a lot of Austin. His family is actually pretty influential in Austin in terms of uh, the fight for civil rights.
0: Yeah. Cool. I wonder what they're going to do with the house.
2: Essentially, when he passed away, he said, I want you to preserve every single thing in the house— uh, and turn it into a museum. His green tr- Ford truck, it uh, looks like a mid 70s ish, uh, is parked in there. There's a car back there. Basically, his dying wish was not for anything to be touched in the house oh. and for them to turn it into a museum.
0: So, uh I love that. so is World War II veteran the proud World War II veteran sign the American flag? Yeah, I mean his it vehicles looks like, are still parked there. It looks like the lights are
2: still on. Like yeah. he, he asked them not to change anything. So he was known basically for smoking several cigars a day and sipping whiskey on his porch. Oh man, or, I dream, or, I aspire to be such. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the, as it goes, like the his last cup of whiskey and his half smoking cigar are still sitting on the table in there. Oh, nice. Uh, so everything is 112 everything. years old he was 112 years old wow,
0: that's impactful to think about the things that he saw
2: you know it really is and I, th- I think it brings together some of the uh the points we touch on in the bike ride of how this struggle for equality happened over a long time and he was alive for all of that and he, and he just died like two years ago so right. he was alive and witnessed a lot of it and invariably honestly probably was victim to a lot of injustice i was listening to have you heard of the podcast 1619 no 1619 is uh, produced by the New York Times, but it's basically a podcast like telling of you know the beginning of slavery, 1619, like the very first slaves that were brought here. Okay. Through all of these things that happened. One of the stories they tell is about a World War II veteran. He fights for his country in World War II. He's black. He comes back and he's like, Well, you know, I've earned my rights. On his bus ride, literally, like the first time he re-enters America the bus makes a stop. He says, Hey, I need to get off and use the bathroom. The bus driver says, you have to do what I say. Yeah. And you can't go to the bathroom. You're not in
0: charge here. Yeah.
2: And he basically says like, come on, man. Like, they get in kind of an argument. The bus driver gets the police involved. The police beat him so badly. And that's something that, you know, I don't know if Richard Overton dealt with, but there's this kind of a uh, understanding in the black community that if you fought overseas or you serve in a war for the country, you're going to have at least some more rights. And when they got back, they realized that, that wasn't necessarily true. So, the fact that his house is still here and the fact that it's going to become a museum and you can come check out his cool truck out here is, I think it's just really cool that we're able to preserve that much history. And it just goes to show you that there's all of it's all around us and it's, it's right here.
0: Yeah, it's cool. I mean, one day your route will have like another museum on it, another preserved house. Right. Later, like hundred years later, I don't know when this one was built, but the first one was called the... Oh the Haskell my, House. The Haskell House, yeah. Yeah. That, that was built in the eighteen eighties. Yeah, yeah, so we'll have another one on the tour that's that's a, a different generation. It's a different generation and he built the house. Yeah. So, so cool.
2: So we're gonna go we're gonna make it to the last stop, uh, which is right down the street. Uh, it's called the Victory Grill, which is a bar and All a right. music venue that I'm sure Mitch, Mr. Overton probably partied at <laughs> uh, many times. So He only had to walk home from there, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm sure it's only like a fifteen minute walk. So <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>
0: Well, so the Victory Grill, right next to the Quickie Picky, actually where we started. Yeah, convenient. Yeah, you
2: know, I can I can draw a hey, circle. Hey, on you're the map. a professional inventor. <laughs> yeah, I can draw a I circle can draw a on circle. the map. <laughs> All right, you know it's not that you know. But yeah, we're standing here on uh, East Eleventh Street, which this was actually once like the hub of uh, like the Black community in terms of services or several grocery stores. People would get their laundry. Done Everything everything that you'd find over here, this is basically the the segregated uh, part of uh, the city center where a lot of uh, African-Americans, once they were all living over here. Came the hub. It it was the hub, right? There were banks, restaurants. This was the music venue, the Victory Grill. And undoubtedly, I'm sure Richard Overton drank a lot of whiskey here (laughs) because this is one of the main uh, bars and music venues over here. So the story goes that Johnny Holmes, a booking agent and band manager, opened the Victory Girl on August 15th, 1945 as a restaurant and a bar for black soldiers returning from the war, much like Richard Overton. In the segregated south of the 1940s, these servicemen could not walk into just any place to have a beer. They had to go one specifically for African-Americans. The first incarnation of the Victory was a small lean-to building, but Holmes soon moved to a larger building next door, which is what we see right now. So this started as a lean-to? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Holmes was also familiar with both a burgeoning Texas blues and jazz scene, and soon the club became known for its music as well as its food and drink. The club began attracting music lovers, no matter what their race. During its heyday in the 1950s, most of the popular national blues, rhythm, R&B, and jazz acts that played Austin performed at the Victory Grill. Ike and Tina Turner, James Brown, Etta James, Billie Holiday, Chuck Berry, and Janis Joplin were all some of the artists who graced the stage here. A resident... Of the area later quoted saying the street was so crowded you could barely walk it was like New Orleans oh. so this used to be like the spot you know for for black life imagine if James Brown was playing in here oh I can't imagine it was
0: I'm just saying if he was on the roof like how did they how did they hear him this is like a small building
2: <laughs> yeah so if you look kind of it, it's it's set up to where there's like a bar right here in the building and if you go down this hallway there's actually a pretty large music venue in the back Right. it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but once you go back down there it's like kind of this giant room okay and so that's where they'd have like janice joplin and james brown
0: wow. perform in there. wow
2: cool which which by standards today like it's there's probably room for like 300 or 400 people in there so it's still not that big no. compared to like <laughs> our music venues
0: they probably didn't have fire codes back then, though. They just packed them in. No,
2: they just packed them in. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Victor Grill is one of the last remaining original Chitlin Circuit juke joints. Do you know? Do you know about the Chitlin Circuit? Oh,
0: I was about to ask. No.
2: Yeah. So the Chitlin Circuit was essentially like the circuit of, of clubs in each city where black uh, musicians could play. So when James Brown went on tour, it wasn't. It usually wasn't like, oh, you know, you can, you know, you can play here, but not here. They just knew, like, there was a circuit of like. 15 20 different music venues all throughout the deep south we we're like all right this Was is safe This is a safe place for you know African American performers to play and African American crowds can go there because they couldn't play in the music venues on the other side
0: yeah you got to think it's before Yelp and Google reviews and you could be like oh no you don't want to go to this one I mean no, it's like need- it's like you got to go right there have you, have you seen that movie the Green Book?
1: No
2: The Green Book is a pretty similar it, it, it's basically about an African American pianist. He gets this green book and a bodyguard to drive him around. Bodyguard's this burly, a guy, and he's like, what's up with this book, right? And so they immediately get to the deep south, <laughs> and the jazz pianist is not having a good time because everyone's not treating him well. You know, he's from New York City. Yeah. So anyway, this is representative of one of the last places like that that was a safe place for, for people of color to play, like, back in the 1950s. Right. Um, the Victory Grill is one of the last remaining original Chitlin Circle and Juke joints. It is listed on the National Register of Historic Places archived by the Texas Historical Commission and dubbed a Texas treasure by the statewide organization Preservation Texas. It stands as an artifact to the development of a distinct American music tradition. The restoration of the Victory Grill bridged the era of the Chitlin Circuit to today's urban contemporary sounds. The cafe serves southern cuisine, provides blues, jazz, and urban contemporary entertainment, and provides educational opportunities that link past African-American musical forms and culture with the present. I would also like to note that if you look across the street, what what do you see in this building? Uh, uh fashion, spot, there's fashion, design, 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 lots of interesting angles, and uh, I mean, you you call that a, a modern, f- a very modern, very uh, contemporary, very contemporary building, and you know, in the street right in front of us, we have the the new Black Artists Matter. Mural that was painted a little over a month ago. So you know, it's it's great that this music venue is still here, amidst the fact that you know this neighborhood is changing quite rapidly and and being gentrified. Which, like I said, I wouldn't say that we can necessarily stop gentrification. I think that's symptomatic of, or, or or you know, that's the cause of some of these systemic problems we're having. Right. But if we start noticing that, and we start when we're on our bikes or just whenever we start saying like, hey, like. There's this squatty, small, old building over here with a historical plaque in kind of an area where there's a bunch of new, modern houses. Like, maybe we can start thinking about what that really means and yeah. what the the deeper context is, and we start thinking about what gentrification means, you know? Because, like I said, I don't expect it to necessarily stop,
0: but at least educate people. We should start and then give at least sort of some appreciation, acknowledgement.
2: Exactly. Like we should start just appreciating and acknowledging a little bit instead of turning a blind eye.
0: Right. What is your goal with this this route, uh, this route and maybe creating others like it? Yeah, um, I mean,
2: we're in the biggest bike boom we've ever seen in, yeah. in the current moment, and we're also in one of the biggest civil rights moments ever in history. So my hope is really just to help share black stories and, and create an outlet for people to learn black history in a way that might be a little bit more fun than sitting in a lecture hall or just right. reading on your phone. We're, we're, we're trying to, like, take the history directly to people and also get people on their bikes. So they're able to be active, have fun. And like I said, like, I think a lot of people, your followers are maybe a little more used to biking long distances, <laughs> um, and you know, they're like super familiar with biking, yeah. you know, far distances, which is awesome. Um, trying to set this up so people that literally bought a bike yesterday or people that are borrowing a bike like Steve is today. Oh yeah. are it, it, It's, you know, easy for them to do. And they're, they're able to walk away feeling like they've learned something,
0: you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, making the whole sport of cycling accessible is is a big, big part of uh, what I'd like to accomplish with the podcast. So I appreciate like you coming on and like adding your voice. I want to get your perspective. Have you seen it improve for people of color over the years? Like, are you are you happy with what you're seeing or? Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously a lot more people are aware, like you said, it's one of the biggest social moves that we've seen. So that's good. Right. And now I feel like it's like, okay, what do we do with that? How do we point it? You know? Right.
2: Right. Well, I feel like we're we're really seeing like an individual industries such as the cycling industry. But there are a lot of other industries. You could say skiing, lots of outdoor, super active outdoor industries. We're, we're starting to notice that, that once we look at this lens of like, all right, who's making the decisions, who runs these companies, you know, for bike brands, gear, everything else, the representation of, of people of color is not what we're seeing with other brands like Target yeah. or Walmart. They've, they've acknowledged that a long time ago. We need to sort of be making sure we're selling and acknowledging people of all colors and backgrounds. And we see some of these other brands, I'm not going to say they're implicitly biased, yeah. but... You're wearing a pair of Smith sunglasses. Okay. I have a bunch of Smith gear. I looked at I looked at some of their Instagram social media handles, and I was like, there are literally, there's not even any Mexican people or black people riding bikes, skiing, using God any of gear. God damn it, they got me. And well, they got me too because I own a bunch of their stuff. But I was like, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't. It, it. I don't think it. Interesting place for an interview. Yeah. Uh, this it, is fun. It doesn't. It really does nothing it doesn't hurt them to go in that direction but it's interesting to notice that every time that they set up a photo shoot or action photo shoot or people out in the wild there just haven't either been the talent to hire or no one's thought like hey you know like i have a buddy that rides who happens to be a black guy latino guy or even a a women Um, they're not trying they're Not trying at all, and yeah. I mean, not, I'm not trying to use this to call them out, but oh, no, they're, no, no, they're, no not, yeah. they're not the only brand. But I just haven't
0: been wearing Smith sunglasses. Well,
2: I own, like I said, I own a Smith yeah. helmet and a bunch of other Smith stuff, so I was like, wait, that's not cool. And and I mean, I the only thing I think most people are asking is to try, yeah. you know, not not asking for radical change. Like, I'm not, I want
0: more than that. I mean, I want to inspire, I want to, I want to create a bridge between going outside, riding your bike and accessibility and funds and all that for people to do it. I mean, you're maybe not familiar with like bikepacking routes, but I donate some of my proceeds to them and they've already raised like $50,000 for a BIPOC adventure grant program to buy bikes, to pay for trips, to, you know, and you apply for it and all this stuff. But I mean, I've seen a lot of other companies do similar things and purposely hire you know, people of color, talent, actors, directors, photographers, whatever it is. So you are seeing some improvement. So are you, you are, you're, yeah. You're, I mean, and like I said, even the the
2: the, the owners of Chemba reached out and they're like, "What can we do to help?" Yeah. And I, I I spoke with them for a while just to say, like, I mean here's some ideas. Like, obviously I'm just one guy with a bike, right. so I don't have a solution, but you know, we, we can, at least people are, they're ready to start
0: asking those questions and they're, they're ready to start
2: having that conversation. But I think
0: I, it needs a couple of things. I mean, it needs people like you who are willing to stand up and, and share your experiences. I mean, obviously you put together this route, which is incredible and it's going to service people for years and years to come. Hopefully that will come and ride this route. But on top of that, you're a man of color who's coming and like doing something and being a voice and being willing to put your out there. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. And then it takes, you know, people like me who are just like, hey, I mean, I didn't come here today. I just came here to learn, right? Like, there's so much I didn't learn. I went to uh, American schools. I know that a lot of the information I got, both about Christopher Columbus and about the lack of information about black people and how we take and we cram in a month and we think that's enough and we check it off and like, that's supposed to be good enough. I mean, I'm the product of that. So there's so much stuff that I don't know. And I'm like so many other people. I mean, even I don't know, but maybe even black people who've like gone through the system, like shit. I didn't even know all this stuff. I, you know? I
2: would one hundred percent agree with you because of the way our textbooks are written. And in Texas, well, you're from Texas, so you know. Yeah, Texas. Protect- there, there's a specific like understanding that the the hist- history text- textbooks in Texas are they've changed a lot, and they they you know really, history really is written by the victors, so they leave <laughs> out a lot of important details like with, in terms of like Native American, indigenous people, and black people and my whole thing with doing these rides is I think understanding local history gives us a really good context to understand what's been happening forever. Because yeah. that local history isn't taught in schools, but the local history is right here. They created this bar because, you know, the servicemen that came back from World War II wanted to go get drunk like they did in Europe. They, they deserved to, a beer. They, wanted, they wanted, to go get, wanted to go drink beers, and they, they couldn't go right down the street a few blocks to where the other bars were, so they had to open their own bar because... And you know, like when you think about it that way, you're like, oh, oh, that Jim Crow, Jim. Oh, I've heard about. Oh, and you, you, can kind of connect it together. But I feel like starting to understand and peel back that local history. Really, Just history really does.
0: in general is is important. And as I've gotten older, I've, I mean, God, I was the worst student. I didn't even grab, give a crap about any kind of history. Any, you know. But as I've gotten older, I, I mean, I've, I've. I've made it a point to educate myself about the people and the places that came before. I mean, even the wildlife. I mean, how do we impact the wildlife? I mean, I I look at. I mean, we displace all kinds of things as humans. We just take over and destroy and conquer and all this stuff and just need to be more aware and purposeful about what we're doing and like two people. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we, we can't just like go through life with blinders on and, and think that we can just do whatever the fuck we want to do. And there's no consequences, Absolutely. you know? So I don't know. What else? Do uh, you got anything else that you wanted to share? Or
2: You know, I guess the the only thing I, I would highlight is, which is something I read uh, just the other day, but I think today's the first day of the Tour de France.
0: Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. I didn't even well, know. <laughs> the, well, so
2: they pushed it because it was supposed to be in July and I, they might be doing it all virtually. I'm I'm not even sure. So basically, I did want to point out the fact that in us talking about these brands doing better and everyone doing better, like my foray into cycling was because my local bike shop was like, hey, you know what? You're great at BMX. Let's get you on a mountain bike. They kind of let me borrow kind of an old loaner mountain bike to go mountain bike racing. So racing in some of these UCI races is how I really got into cycling as a black kid. And when I was there, I didn't realize I was the only black kid. Mm -hmm. And... I heard the statistic yesterday, it said like, hey, Tour de France is starting tomorrow, there are, how, how, many, how many riders do you think are in the Tour de France? 200? 172, Okay. it's really close. There's 22 teams, 172 riders, how many riders that are black? Three. One. Okay. And he's a British guy. <laughs> and to me it's just, it, that really speaks a lot because I'm like, well, where's the, what's up with that? You know, What like, is up with that? Why don't we talk about that more and why don't yeah. we acknowledge that and why don't we say like, hey like, what, what can we do to get more people on bikes or more pe- more kids on bikes and not just on bikes, but thinking about racing competitively or, or going bikepacking or, or doing things that are going to, you know, work to change like what our sport looks like in, in a way that, you know, I'm, I'm not someone that races or anything, but like, no. why don't we have like that same amount of representation in
0: it's, it's everywhere. It's in the actual sport. I mean, cycling, I mean, that's the sport we're in is Completely white. It's, I mean, it's embarrassingly white. That's what I, sure. I mean. It's embarrassing. Sure. And everybody knows it. And so I think, you know, representation is a big problem. We need, again, people to be willing to give a, a space for people of color and then also people of color to like be examples. And then other people, yeah, they're like, oh, wait, there's that guy that can do that. I mean, think about, um, major taylor you know the blacks right yeah i mean yeah i don't how many people did he inspire it's unquantifiable but like what else can we do i'm a person of action and i have this platform i'm like okay what can i do i mean like let's just get some representation out there let's tell some stories about people like you and uh i'm curious i'm curious i wanted to ask you a question so you grew up riding racing and you didn't even realize you were the only black guy there you know i'm sure
2: it came up but i think i just shrugged it off and it's it's just like it's not in the because i was like 14 15 when i was racing so my understanding of like my race and what that meant wasn't as developed as it is now because i'm 31 so back then i was like uh no big deal like in, in my mind i was like it's not really a big deal like whatever you know i don't you don't you don't really think about it in the same way when you're a teenager than you do when you're a a grown man, right? right? And then you're like, okay, because a lot on a lot of the rides I go on. So I am a part of the Major Taylor Club of, of Central Texas. So I okay. ride with them a lot, okay. and it's cool because there actually are a lot of black people on bikes. But when I go on any almost any other club ride in town, and I've got a lot of friends in, in different clubs, I'm literally one of at most two you know, people of color riding. I just think it's something that we need to, we really need to talk about and really work on doing better. Like, like I said, I don't have the answer, but if I can if I can bring some more attention to that and, and just, just, you know, and my whole thing is like, I, I don't want to, you know, I talk about how sad all this history is, but when I'm living my life, I'm out popping wheelies and having fun and, and riding centuries and, you know, yeah. and like going out and having big adventures. And, yeah. you know, I also want to make sure that we're not defining um, talking about like black people on bikes just by constantly being like, there's not enough black, there's just not enough. Cause like, I do that enough and I'm like, all right, fuck it. Let's go ride wheelies. You know, like
0: let's, let's go bomb down well, some Endura the Madura point lines. is you want your friends here. We want, I mean, it's just making the sport more inclusive. So anybody can come giving examples, making it easy, making it fun. Yeah, it doesn't have to be serious. I mean, the point about riding bikes is absolutely to have a good time, but, you know, we can't, there's an underlying thing that we all know is like, yeah, this isn't, there's there's not a lot of equality here, at sure. least a representation of equality. Maybe people are feeling like I'm very equal and maybe people are feeling like I'm very open, but you know, what are we doing? What kind of conversations are we having and who are we inviting on our rides and how can we help? So, right. I mean, nobody can solve the whole thing, right? But I, you know, just as a person, a white guy, (laughs) you know, observing, I'm like, okay, it feels like there's a lot more momentum. I'm seeing things that I hope have long lasting and positive impacts. And in 20 years from now, cycling won't look like this, you know, but if we sit around, we just sit on our thumbs and drink a beer instead of having a conversation like this, you know, not to say we're going to change the whole thing, but again, I think it's to everybody to do, do a little bit
1: instead of just sitting around
0: and. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to ask you this question. Sure. Uh, and maybe we can get the gears turning because I've had a couple of conversations about this idea with a couple of friends that have done some bike packing tours and long distance tours. So I wanted to ask you about it and see if you think anybody would be interested. I was thinking about doing a ride across Texas from Jasper Texas to El Paso. Ooh, symbolically as it's it's right around 150 miles, so 146 miles. And you know, symbolically it's like a ride for justice to kind of, you know, talk about where we've come from, yeah. you know, in Texas, but also where we're going. So, from Jasper Texas where the most recent very unfortunate uh, like public killings of a black man in the 1990s. Uh, you know about that one?
0: Um, I'm, I'm familiar with the sign that used to be there, but not about that killing No. Essentially in the nineties, a black man was dragged to death
2: behind a truck. And so the, the idea basically is to ride from Jasper, Texas, all the way to El Paso, 846 miles, basically to to bring attention to the fact that there's still injustice happening in Texas and that we have a coalition of cyclists and a coalition of people that want to to talk about that and, and, and to work on riding kind of to the next destination, which is a big city that is essentially the future of America, which is- you Like know, a El Paso is a, Yeah, El Paso's a border town is actually one of the safest cities in America. So essentially, I was like, we can make it a bike cap ha- you know, yeah. a bike
0: packing trip. It's, it's only 850 miles, you know? Dude, let's do it. When, when are we doing it? February, 2021. How many days do you think you'll do it in? A week?
2: 14.
0: Uh, 14, oh, you're gonna like really extend it Probably, out. Yeah, yeah. Wow! Of course, that sounds awesome, and you should def- definitely do it. And to whatever extent I can, I'll definitely like support it. Right? Yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: maybe just put the word out there a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, I, we're dude, so, we're I, so can't, I can't even
0: take off two weeks of work, man. That's crazy. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe what you do is like. You, I guess you're doing it like segments, right? Yeah. And like some people could ride the whole thing, but like nobody has to ride from like start to finish. You just hop on no, where you I think you we'd could. have like kind
2: of a bailout where people that once we hit like kind of the either Colleen Temple, or once we cross I-35, it's like, there's the Austin, which that, <laughs> that, like the, the, that ride's like maybe three or four days consecutively. And then the rest of us ride yeah. until Paso. Have you
0: done any uh, bikepacking?
2: I haven't. I've always wanted to.
0: Yeah. That's a perfect time to cut your teeth on 850 miles. I mean, right? <laughs> By the end, you'll be like really good. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's I'll not that, that complicated. It's it. not that complicated. You put your shit in your bike, you ride it for a long ways, you sleep, and you do it again the next day. And I can do that. Yeah, you can do it. Dude, do I, I rode with you today. If you can ride a wheelie all the way down the middle of UT campus, you can ride across Texas. Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, dude. I mean, thanks for the tour. Thanks for putting it together. I mean, the world needs people to do things, you know. Yeah, the, world, the world is start for leaders. That's what I, That's what I think, you know. Yeah,
2: well, thanks for having me, and, and thanks for talking to me and asking so many amazing questions. It's, it's always, I, I, I love riding bikes and, and talking to people about this stuff. So the Cheers. more people, the better. And we're going to do more of these rides yeah. uh, soon and in the future, kind of once the whole pandemic thing lightens up a little bit more. And we're also going to start kind of cataloging all the history and all the routes on uh, BlackHistoryBikeRide.com. Uh, we're working on that website right now, so it's not up right now. But in the meantime, on Instagram, people can follow me, Talib Talib, or Black History Bike Ride. T A
0: L I B T A L I B.
2: Yeah, T A L I B T A L I B. It's my first name <laughs> twice. Like Talib Coley, the rapper. Yeah, yeah, and curious. we'll
0: we'll definitely put on Bicycledeth.com and cool. all that. So definitely got my support. So anything we can do, oh, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, thanks, dude. Thanks, man. man, appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right, people. That's all I got for y'all today. I hope you are having a wonderful day. I am. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, Even if the world is crazy right now, and I know it is, I hope that you are finding your own internal peace and happiness. And uh, hopefully that'll keep you anchored in these uncertain times. Again, I want to just throw a shout out to Talib. I thought that was a really fun style of interview. I don't know if you liked it, maybe you can shoot me a DM or something and say, yeah, that was great. Or no, I hate that. Never do that again. I'm probably going to do whatever I want to do anyway, but it's always nice to hear from people. It really is. I mean that. All right. Well, don't forget to enter the Rock Geist raffle for a custom frame bag. Head over to rockgeist.com. Tickets are only $5 each. If you don't win this month, you can try again next month. Boom. Easy. Also, don't forget to head over to gooder.com forward slash bikes or death and check out my landing page and uh fiddle around maybe buy yourself a few pair wouldn't hurt my feelings any (laughs) oh man life is good all right friends like i said at the beginning i'm sitting in my new soon-to-be studio i have big windows the big barn door is open i'm staring at a beautiful day (sighs) and i think i'm gonna just go ride my damn bike you load
1: up your bike you ride away from home you could be with your friends or you could be alone for a day or maybe more you just love being in the great outdoors everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus and then you think oh shit to yourself you left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf bikes oh.